0: Uh, so, this morning, uh, as we gather to worship, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about what I was going to preach on, and I was going to preach on something different, uh, but one of the things that's been on my mind a lot lately is the subject of worship, and, and especially as it pertains to worship in the local church and what that should look like. Uh, and even more specifically, I've been thinking a lot about singing and, and the role that plays in the worship of the church. And so I talked about that on Wednesday night with our junior and senior high ministry. Um, and afterwards, Alex and I were talking and she said, I think you should preach on that this Sunday. So I thought about it and I said... Okay, I guess <laughs> I'll change. And uh, so here we are. So kids and adults who were there Wednesday night, a lot of this might sound familiar. That's not an excuse for you not to pay attention. There will be some new content too, don't worry. Uh, but it's going to be what we talked about Wednesday night as well. Uh, so anyways, I, like I said, I've been thinking a lot about worship in the church and a lot about singing more specifically, and the role singing plays in the worship of the church. And so I've been doing a lot of studying, reading a lot, studying scripture, seeing what exactly the Bible has to say about singing. And let me tell you, the Bible has much to say about singing. When you you really look at it and study, it's fascinating how much the Bible talks about singing. And so we'll look at some of that in a little bit. But today I really want to focus on one passage and what that passage says about singing. That passage is going to be Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn there, you can go ahead. If you don't have a Bible and need one, if you, they're in the back by the blessings box. If you want to grab one, if you can't get up or, or for whatever reason need someone else to, somebody else would be happy to bring you one as well. But Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. While you're turning there, I want you to take a moment to consider how strange it is that we spend so much time singing in our worship gatherings. Think about it, we come on a Sunday morning, get some coffee, greet each other, and then we stand, and then we sing, and then we greet one another, and then we sing, and then we sing some more, and then we sing some more, and then somebody stands up here and we preach from God's word, and then we stand up, and then we sing again, and then we go home, and then we come back the following Sunday, and we do it all over again. We as Christians are the only religious group that does this. No one else worships like we do. There may be some kind of music and maybe a little bit of singing involved in in other religious worship gatherings, but nobody does it like Christians do. Hindus don't do it. Muslims don't do it. Buddhists don't do it. Atheists don't do it. Jews may, may sing a little bit, but, but not like we do. And so have you ever considered why, or ever given thought to the reasoning behind why singing is such a focal point in Christian worship? So that's what I want to I talk about today. And I want to, again, spend most of the time in Ephesians 5. 18 through 20. So if you're there, I'm going to go ahead and read those three verses for us. Your translation may sound a little bit different than the one I'm reading. That's okay. Uh, the meaning is the same. So Ephesians 5:18 through 20 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus is going to be on verses 18 and 19, especially the second part of verse 18, and then even more so verse 19 because of what it has to say about singing in the church. Uh, but looking at verse 18 there, look at the the first part of it is Paul just gives a simple command. He says, do not get drunk with wine. We're not going to spend much of of any time on that this morning. Uh, suffice it to say that he just clearly condemns drunkenness as a sin in in scripture. And that'll suffice it to say for today. But the, the second part is really where we want to focus. So the first part of verse 18, he gives this command, this imperative, do not get drunk with wine. And then the second part, he gives another command, like an instead. Your, Your translation might even say instead. So do not get drunk with wine, but instead, the command is be filled with the Spirit. All right, and that's the part we're focusing on, the be filled with the Spirit part. Now, when he when he gives this command, it's not as if he's telling us that we need to receive the Holy Spirit again. It's not as though he has left us, and we need him to come back. That's not what he's saying. We know that when we came to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt us. It says in Ephesians 1 that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we know that we have the Holy Spirit in us. It's not as though he needs to come back. Rather, I think what Paul is talking about when he says, be filled with the Spirit, I think he's talking about experiencing life and fullness in the Holy Spirit. He's talking about experiencing who God is through the presence of the Holy Spirit who is inside of us. So even though the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us as Christians, the, the degree to which we walk by the Spirit or are aware of his presence, that kind of waxes or wanes, that that kind of shifts a little bit. And so he's giving us this command, be filled with the Spirit. That's his command at the end of verse 18. And that command is going to govern what he says in the next few verses. So if you think of this command up top here, the be filled with the Spirit, that's the, the command. And underneath that then, he's going to kind of expand on that and explain what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. So through verses 19, 19, really through 21, that's what he does. He explains what it looks like to be filled with the the Spirit. And so let's look at what he says in verse 19. He says, be filled with the Spirit... Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. All right, there it is. There's singing. The command to be filled with the Spirit in verse 18, that's kind of the command over top. And then underneath that is where he expands and explains what it is, is like to be filled with the Spirit. And so what he says, that part of being filled with the Spirit is singing. That's kind of the one big action of verse 19, singing. One of the characteristics of the Spirit-filled life is singing. I told this to the kids on Wednesday night, and I'll tell it to you guys too. You can go to churches all over the area all over Ohio, all over the country, all over the world, and you can hear worship music of all kinds of styles and traditions. You can hear the the contemporary style, as we do here. You can go to a more traditional place and hear an an organ or a piano with hymnals. You may go somewhere and you may have a cappella, no instruments at all. You might have a choir, a, a giant choir leading in song. You may go to another part of the world and you may hear worship music play that you've never thought to associate with church music and with worship. And so I told them that and I said, I asked them this question. I said, of all the styles of music that are out there that churches can use in worship, all the different options, what is the one non-negotiable instrument that we are to use? And so I asked them that question and there are about four or five of them that put their hands up, and they got the question right. Because you know what they said? They said, our voices. And they were right. You know, styles of music and all that. Churches have fought over that kind of stuff for years. Those are worthy conversations of having. But the the one non-negotiable, in the church's worship, the one instrument that's commanded to be used by God is the voices of the people. Did you know that there are over 400 references to singing in Scripture? Are there are over 400 references to singing in the Bible. And I'm going to go through every single one of them. I'm going to go through about eight of them. Don't worry. Uh, Let me just show you a few of the examples in the Bible of where they reference singing it and pay attention to the occasion for why they sing it and how they sing, what brings about their singing. So here are just a couple. In Exodus 15, the passage we read for the call to worship, Moses and all the people of Israel sang a song to the Lord after he parted the Red Sea and delivered them from the Egyptians. In Numbers twenty-one, the people of Israel sang after God brought them to an abundant well of fresh water. In First Chronicles fifteen, David appointed Levites to sing as the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to Jerusalem. In Second Chronicles five, the priests dedicate the temple to the Lord with singing. In Ezra three, the temple had been destroyed and has now been rebuilt. And the people of Israel sang after the temple was rebuilt. The whole book of Psalms is a, is a whole book, 150 of them, of songs written by and sung by the people of God. Songs for every kind of emotion, songs for every occasion. Here's one of my favorites. Matthew 26:30 tells us that after the last supper on the night on which he was betrayed... Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn. I love that because it it shows how much song mattered to our Savior, that before he was betrayed, he led his disciples in a hymn. Acts 16.25 tells us that Paul and Silas were in the the prison in the city of Philippi. And it says around midnight, they were singing hymns to God and praising him. I, I love that one too. They're just in prison, around midnight, just singing praise to God. Revelation chapter 5, chapter 14, chapter 15, and I'm sure in other places in the book of Revelation, angels and men are pictured singing a song of praise around the throne of God and to the Lamb. The people of God have always been and will always be a singing people. And the same thing is expected of us today. If the people of God sang after seeing God part the Red Sea or after seeing him defeat the Canaanites, how much more ought we to sing after seeing what God has done for us through Christ? After seeing the greatest miracle miracle of all, the incarnation of the, the Son, the eternal second person of the Trinity, His perfect life, His substitutionary death on the cross, and His victorious resurrection, how much more ought we respond in song after seeing what He's done for us? There are over 400 references to singing in the Bible. And did you know that of those 400 references, at least 50 of them are direct commands from God to sing? Let me just give you a a few examples of that. Psalm 96, 1 and 2 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name and tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. Another one, Psalm 149, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. It is our duty as the redeemed and spirit-filled children of God to sing in response to who God is and to what he has done. We are commanded to sing. We will sing as God's people have always done and as we will on into eternity. We will always be a singing people. But it's not just our duty to sing. It's not as if we just with arms folded begrudgingly look up to God and say, okay, we'll sing just because you tell us to. It's our delight to sing sing. You look at those instances in the Old Testament of when the people of God sang. They didn't, in Exodus 15, they didn't sing a song of praise because God merely said to. He didn't, not because he merely commanded them to. It was their delight to. They were compelled to sing in response. They could not help but just sing after seeing the greatness of what God had done. We don't just sing because we are commanded to. We sing because we are compelled to. We can't help but sing. Singing is the most natural and fulfilling way to express the praise that is in us. That's the way God wired us. I don't know about you, but I've been watching the Olympics the past few weeks. And so when they have a medal ceremony for the Olympics... What do they do for the gold medalist? They stand them up on that podium and they play the winning country's national anthem. Why don't they just recite the national anthem? Why doesn't somebody just stand up there and just read from a script and just read the words? Why do they play it in song? If you're a college sports fan and you've ever been to a a game... Particularly a basketball or a football game, and the marching band or the pet band is there. What do you hear played over and over and over and over again? What do you hear played after the team scores or after they win? What do you hear the crowd breaking out in song to? The fight song. Why is the fight song not just recited? Why, when the team scores and the whole crowd bursts into song, why don't they just sit back? Why don't they just recite the words to the fight song? But why do they sing it? Why do we write love songs to our significant others? For those of you who are musically creative and have the ability to do that, why do we do that? Why don't we just recite words? Why do we write songs? I would submit that the reason we do all of these things is because God has wired us in such a way that song is the song is the most appropriate and most fulfilling way to express our our love and, and our affection. It's the most appropriate way to respond to something great and something glorious. And so we go to a a college football game and our team runs onto the field and the band plays our song and we, we can't help but just break out into song. The United States wins a gold medal in curling on an incredible shot and we can't help but watch the medal ceremony and just sing the national anthem. We can't help but write love songs to our husbands or to our wives. Brothers and sisters, if we are compelled to sing in response to the greatness of these earthly things, as great as they are, how much more should we be compelled to sing in response to the greatness of God? How much more should we be compelled to sing in response to what he has done for us in Christ? We don't merely sing because we are commanded to. We don't merely sing out of duty. We sing out of delight. And we are compelled to sing. And this is exactly what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5, 19. So there's that command again, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. And in verse 19, he says that a major part of that, or a major characteristic of being filled with the Spirit is singing. Singing. Church, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have been filled with his Spirit who now lives inside of us. And as his people, as believers, we long to experience the fullness of the Spirit's power and presence with us. And Paul tells us that one of the ways we do that is by singing. I know that there are many of you who don't sing in church, and and I don't know what your reasons are for not singing. Maybe you're not a good singer, so you're embarrassed to possibly be heard by others. Maybe you just like to sit and think about the lyrics and kind of ponder them in your heart. Maybe you just don't like to sing. Maybe you don't know the song, or maybe you don't like the song. Maybe you don't like the music. Maybe you prefer a different style of music. Maybe you've never just thought about it, and you've never been taught why we sing and why, why it's important. I don't know what your reasoning might be for not singing, but we are called to sing, every every single one of us, Not just the worship team. Not just the women. Not just those with especially beautiful singing voices. Not just the pastors or the elders or or those in leadership. But every single one of us is called to sing. So I don't know what our reasoning is. But we are called to sing, every single one of us. And I think part of our spiritual growth as Christians is learning to. This may be difficult to hear and swallow for some of us. But I think God's word is clear here in this passage as well as in other places. That if we call ourselves Christians... But we refuse to participate in the singing of the church. Either we are being disobedient or we have not been filled with the Spirit and we're not actually Christians at all. Because as Spirit-filled, blood-bought children of God, we are commanded to sing and we are compelled to sing by His Holy Spirit inside of us. Moving on, if you look at verse 19... You notice that there's one action, singing, that singing kind of covers all of verse 19. But you'll notice if you look closely that there are two parts to this action. Right? There's, there's a first part of verse 19 and a second part of the verse. The second part of verse 19 describes the part of singing in church that we're probably all familiar with. It says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This second part of verse 19 describes the vertical aspect of singing. The focus here is singing to the Lord Jesus with all of our hearts. He's talking about being filled with songs of praise in our hearts and then speaking or singing that praise back to Jesus as we sing these things. And so when we gather together to sing as a church, it is deeply personal as we do so. We all individually are meeting with the Lord Jesus as we sing his praise. And when we do this, when we come and when we sing praise to our Lord and to our Savior, we are expressing the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that's part of the reason we sing. It's that that vertical aspect that we are singing to God and lifting our praises up to him as we do so. I think we're probably all used to hearing that. We're very used to, to thinking about worship as something between me and God. We know that we're singing to him as we do so. But, but sometimes we like to think of our Sunday morning worship as a, a personal and individualized worship experience. We like to think of it where it's just me and Jesus. We kind of put blinders on and just it's just me and Jesus. And ever, anything else or anyone else that distracts me from that or detracts from that should be eliminated. And I've been there too. And I, for so long, that was my line of thinking. While it is deeply personal as we sing, it is not an individualized worship experience. It is not just about me and Jesus. It's a corporate worship experience as we sing together. It's about us together as the body of Christ. Singing. Singing. This is one of the things that shocked me as I I studied the Bible to see what it it said about singing. I knew the vertical aspect of singing. I knew that when we sing, we, we sing to God and knew that. But what shocked me was how often the Bible talks about this horizontal aspect of singing. Look at the first part of verse 19. He says, addressing one another... Now, oh, that's no surprise. We, we address one another all the time. We're, we're used to that. We, we come to church and we speak to one another. We ask how each other's weeks have been. We greet one another, say good morning. Uh, we pray for one another. We ask how we can be praying for people. We pray with them. Uh, we, we address each other all the time. This is no surprise. What's surprising in verse 19 is how he says we are to address one another. He says, we are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you read in the New Living Translation, it, it takes that idea, that works we speak to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, and it literally just translates that as singing to one another. This is the horizontal aspect of worship that we so often forget. When we gather together on a Sunday morning as the the spirit-filled, blood-bought children of God, we sing. And we sing to God with our whole being. But this verse also tells us that when we sing, we are not only singing to God, but we are also singing to one another. This in no way diminishes the fact that we are singing to God. It in no way diminishes that vertical aspect of our singing. But it does add another element to our singing. When we sing, we are literally addressing one another in our songs and hymns and spiritual songs. There's another verse in the New Testament that's very similar to this. Colossians 3.16, if you want to turn there. This verse is almost exactly like Ephesians 5.19 with just a few different points of emphasis. And so Ephesians 5.19 says, addressing one another in in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, almost the same as Ephesians 5.19, but just a few different points of emphasis in this verse. Notice in Colossians 3.16 how he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or abundantly. And notice the emphasis he puts on teaching and admonishing in this verse as well. So what Paul is saying in Colossians 3, 16 is that one of the ways that we let the word of Christ or the gospel dwell in our hearts abundantly or richly is by singing. He also says that one of the ways we teach and admonish or encourage one another is through our singing. So think about this, as we gather and we sing, as we sang the Lord's Prayer, and as we sang the Apostles' Creed, and we sing those together, we are singing those, those truths to God and praising Him, and we are also singing them to one another. And as we do so, we are teaching and encouraging one another with those truths. And as we sing them to one another, those truths are being driven deeply into our hearts where they will dwell abundantly. When we sing the song, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be your name. Not only do we sing to God, yes, and absolutely we do, but we also are teaching and admonishing one another to praise God and worship him in the midst of the good times and in the midst of suffering and bad times. When we sing, I believe in life eternal, I believe in the virgin birth, I believe in the saints communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. We are praising God and we are also teaching and admonishing one another to believe these truths. We are strengthening one another's faith as we sing these great truths together. There is a horizontal aspect to our singing. And when we refuse to sing, we are refusing to participate in the teaching and admonishing that happens when we sing to God and to one another. The teaching and admonishing that we are all called to do for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me give a brief overview of what we've said so far as we prepare to close. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit. And when he says this, he's talking about experiencing the the presence and power of God and all its fullness in our lives. And in verse 19, he says that one of the ways we do that is by singing. We're commanded to sing. There are over 400 references to singing in the Bible and at least 50 direct commands. Therefore, it is the duty of every Christian everywhere to sing in response to who God is and to what he has done. But we're not just commanded to sing, we're compelled to sing. We sing out of delight. As the Holy Spirit moves to open the eyes of our hearts to see his glory, we cannot help but respond with a song of praise. When we gather together to sing, we gather to worship God. We sing to him with our hearts. And as we gather together, we are also singing to one another, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, teaching and admonishing one another so that the gospel will dwell in our hearts abundantly. Worship team, would you come forward as we close? One of my concerns this morning is that this would come across as heavy-handed, as kind of guilt-tripping you into singing more. So I I pray that if it does come across that way, I, I pray that this is not my intention. This is not me trying to just prod the church to sing more so that Rex, Dave, and I will have bigger egos about how good of a job we're doing. We don't need that. But this is me saying that as I've studied God's word and what it it says about singing, the more I realize that singing as a part of our worship together is a part of a healthy church, a growing church, a maturing church. And so as we talk about being a growing church and experiencing spiritual growth individually and together— I think part of that is learning to see what God's word teaches us about all things, including singing and then learning to walk in obedience. So I pray this morning that we would be a church that is obedient and a church that's compelled to sing as we respond together to who God is and to what he has done. Just consider with me what God has done for us. See, when we we understand who God is, when we understand how infinitely glorious and holy he is, how infinitely worthy of all praise he is and incomprehensible he is, when we understand how far short of his glory we've fallen and when we understand that we at one time were dead in our sin and were children of his wrath, When we understand that by his mercy and grace, he sent Christ to take on human flesh, to live the perfect life in our place, to die the death on the cross in our place, and to rise again in victory. When we understand that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then we should be, we'll be compelled to sing. Because there's no other way to express our joy, our thankfulness, and our praise. And as we sing together, we remind each other of that. And as we do so, the gospel begins to dwell in our hearts abundantly together. I want to close with this quote from Keith and Kristen Getty. They're Christian singers. And songwriters, they said this about congregational singing. They said, so when you were called to sing at church, stop drinking your coffee for a moment, put your phone away, and look around and listen to the people standing about you. You are not an only child. This is your family. You and these folk around you are the only eternal pieces of this fading world, You are called to serve them by singing with and to them. Come to sing, to lend your voice to the timeless, boundless sound of the congregational voice, singing to the one who is eternally worthy of our praise. My prayer is that we would do that this morning. Would you stand with me and pray? Father, you are the one who is eternally worthy of all of our praise. Lord, we know that we will be a singing people from now and on into eternity. Lord, we long for the day when we can sing your praises face to face with no more sin in our way. We long for the day when we will see you as you are and when we will be like you. Until then, Lord, help us to encourage and teach and admonish one another as we sing. Father, help us by your Holy Spirit in us to walk in obedience. And we pray that this morning your spirit would compel us to sing your praise in response to who you are and to what you've done. So, Lord, we close this morning by singing. We lift our praises up to you us teach and encourage one another as we sing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.